0: MCU.HTML Reassembled is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things movies, media, TV, comics, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. That's Kevo. And that's Nico. And this is MCU.HTML Endgame. We are in the final stretch. One last time as the marketing campaign has gone. Until they decided to do one more movie this phase before several more movies that are all already in production. So, you know, that other meaning of
1: one last time,
0: that one last time where there's many more last times, like a Kiss Farewell Tour, or a Barbra Streisand Farewell Tour, or a Share Farewell Tour.
1: I was going to go with Share, so I got nothing.
0: Well, I think what's most interesting about how we're looking at this is Endgame came out before the, inconsequential, Dark Phoenix. And since then, Dark Phoenix has come out. We've talked about every iteration of the Dark Phoenix saga. It's been a lot of fun, yada, yada, yada. And now we're back here, and we're back here for more Endgame, and Spider-Man's already come out, and we already saw that. And There's this weird sense of not over created by Spider-Man that didn't exist at the end of Endgame. I kind of feel like the movie we're about to talk about has a lot of final blows to it, even though there's like a laundry list of things that they never talked about, never got to, didn't handle. Like I, I feel like I didn't hear the name Vision
1: once that entire film. No, I don't think you did. He is ambiguously referenced by Wanda in a conversation with Clint toward the end. That one YouTube channel that I watched... Thought she was referring to Gamora when she says he hopes that Natasha knows that they won. Wanda says she knows. They both do. And some YouTuber thought that she meant Gamora. Like, they literally never fucking met. She obviously meant her boyfriend. Her very dead boyfriend, who
0: she kind of had to help murder if you think about it. Yeah, she really did. And that's some Jake and Amy shit. But I think the real thing, at the end of the day... With Endgame that gets to me, and this is, I'm starting off with it. I don't believe the Endgame that I expected, looked for, hoped for, I don't believe that Endgame ever happened. I'm gonna sidetrack for one second. I have long said that the show that is lost, that started with episode one, is not the show that is on the air by season six. And whether you like it or don't like it, that's not what I'm trying to discuss. I do not feel that Lost was one show. I feel that it was a regularly transformative show. And so the series finale of Lost is the series finale of whatever the fuck Lost became. But the series finale of Lost is not the series finale of the series premiere that the pilot was.
1: No, I get what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense. And the comparison to the MCU would also make a lot of sense. You wouldn't think from watching Iron Man 1 in 2008 that the way this character will die is on a battlefield surrounded by giant flying centipedes after snapping his fingers using six magical gemstones to undo a time paradox. Like, it just doesn't seem like that's where it's going to end up in 11 years, our time, 15 years, Tony's, Time.
0: which all the more is even crazier because i wasn't necessarily even talking about that i was gonna say that i don't feel that this is necessarily even the movie i thought i was getting when i watched infinity war but that's even my next point infinity war wasn't the infinity war i, thought I was getting when i saw civil war okay okay when i watched infinity war I thought the movie I was getting as Endgame was going to be some iteration of the first 20 minutes of Endgame, and then it was only 20
1: minutes. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's hard to have your expectations met by this franchise, I guess, which I'm not sure exactly if that means what I'm trying to say. You know, one of the quotes that I've read about this film is that Joe and Anthony Russo feel like there is a very clear through line from Winter Soldier through Civil War, through Infinity War, through Endgame. And I'm sort of like, what? What are you talking about? And I don't mind that there isn't exactly the same clear through line that I thought or hoped there would be, but I hear what you're saying about where a lot of these ideas don't necessarily connect the way you thought they would. And it's really funny that they're responsible for this weird
0: breadth of the Marvel Universe, so I guess we are getting a BTS on this here final leg of the MCU, I don't know why everybody, I I don't know why I just turned into Sam Guthrie Cannonball guys, I don't know, but... I think one of the things that's really interesting is Civil War and Winter Soldier are, for my money, two of the most terrestrial films. Not just in terms of they don't leave the planet, but like there's something super duper supernatural about so many of the other terrestrial films. And Civil War and Winter Soldier are like super concerned with politicians. It's like the difference between Star Wars and the prequels star wars is an adventure series and the prequels are a slow political drama and they're responsible for the two movies that are like the star wars is and they're responsible for the two movies that are like the political thrillers and i think that's a really interesting juxtaposition because they played well with everybody who came in between when you think about black panther captain marvel spider-man homecoming i really feel like the russo brothers managed to do something so few creators can do. And of course, we have to give it up to our Feige-licious commander-in-chief. Kevin Feige, really, as a creator, these three people, whether or not Joss Whedon couldn't make it work or he could have, it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm talking about. Nobody who couldn't work with them was bad for not being able to make this happen. But there is something so dynamic about how unique so many of these films are, even if they vaguely fit an outline.
1: And you know, no one's saying that these movies are perfect in any way, but I mean, the numbers don't lie. As of this past weekend, Avengers Endgame is only about 8 million away from beating Avatar as the highest-grossing film of all time, and Spider-Man Far From Home has already made $847 million. It is less than 40 million away from beating its first. Films, entire gross, and a little over 150 million away from breaking a billion, which, according to headlines, is what they need to keep creative control from Sony and, you know, they might not, I don't want to jinx it, but after only like a week of being released, I kind of find it hard to believe that they won't and, you know, they must be doing something, right?
0: And they're certainly going to be a tough act to follow. One of the more strange things is we know so little about what's going to come after Spider-Man and Spider-Man is out and at least lukewarm, if not warmish, reviews, made a ton of money. Tom Holland has really cemented himself as certainly leagues ahead of Andrew Garfield. And I think there's something really dynamic about how we don't know anything about the future of the MCU. For about six years now, we've known every step of the way before it's happened. But we're at, again, a blank slate where we get to interact with the material as though we don't know what's coming next.
1: And there are things that I like about that. It's also giving me a little bit of anxiety, I'll be honest, because... There was something comforting in having a roadmap and knowing where we were going. And there is a fear that now this grand machine could fall off the rails. It wouldn't be impossible to conceive. It's been going for 11 years now. so But there's excitement as well, especially knowing who is still contracted to appear. And that's part of it, too, that took a lot of the mystery out of the latter half of the MCU was knowing so much of where we were going and who was under contract and, you know, Spider-Man dying in Infinity War isn't really as gut-wrenching when you know Far From Home is the first movie coming out after Endgame before you even know what Endgame's title is going to be. And that's actually totally on Sony
0: in so many ways. This whole situation is so strange. I wonder how long it's going
1: to be till Disverize ExxonMobil buys Sony do you know what I really do have to be honest though I am very glad now that I have seen Far From Home that Far From Home did come so immediately after Endgame I had such different expectations for what the film was going to be and I think back to the other Marvel film I have compared it to a few times due to their very similar plot twists Iron Man 3, which was the first film after the Avengers. It came out a full year after the Avengers. There was the first came out in May 2012. The next one came out in May 2013. And that is the longest gap that we have had between Marvel movies ever since. And, you know, it wasn't quite what I was expecting on a different scale, honestly. But this answered so many questions that I had about the aftermath of Endgame and how the universe would pick back up that I don't know if I would have been as happy about those answers if I'd had to wait a full year I think two months was a pretty good amount of time for me personally
0: and before we can get to those answers let's get to those questions I actually don't feel comfortable starting a discussion of Endgame with the first moments of Endgame. I think it actually takes a little bit further. We need to go back to the tag scene for Captain Marvel, which is not in this film
1: at all. Yeah, I'd been expecting it. I believe I've even made comments that we were inevitably going to see it or an expanded version of it, especially because we have literally seen that happen in the past with the tag for Ant-Man being scenes from Captain America Civil War. But no, Carol just showed the fuck up with no explanation. It kind of threw me, honestly. Part of me wonders if it was a safety net to somehow
0: save Captain Marvel, if there had been some ungodly bad response to it or it had mysteriously bombed. I wonder if this was up. Well, now you gotta go watch it, bitches. And I don't know if that's what it was. But at the end of the day, it worked for me. I kind of feel like now the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't have its time to waste with your petty need to see every bit of footage from the production in the film. No, no, no. It can go at the end of the last film. It can be in the commercials. It can just be on the DVD. Fuck, it can be a car commercial. Mm. That's not their problem.
1: And you know, people have questioned how she was able to find them. She probably asked Rocket. Rocket would know how to find the Benatar out there in space. I don't have a problem connecting the dots. I would have liked maybe just another line or two of dialogue at most to give us more on who this crazy flaming chick is. But overall, like, no, it's fine. She even, like, carries their car halfway across the galaxy in about five minutes. Sure, that's fine. It's okay. She
0: is all flaming legs from yay to hay. It's true. And one of the more interesting things is they had said that the film was going to contain so much footage, and you had so little idea what was going on going into this movie, that you had only seen footage from the first ten minutes of the film. And I sort of was like, yeah, okay. And then it was. It was like the whole fucking everything. They managed to cut together a commercial out of the first 20 minutes of this film. And part of me wondered if that was maybe even the goal of the first 20 minutes. Everything about this film... And the last film and the the snappening and how long they both were. I feel like at one point, this film might have been three films in that way that the universe loves a trilogy. And maybe at one point, maybe even Civil War was seen as the third Avengers film. And they were going to make six fucking Avengers movies. And they said, no. And they decided to do this instead. And I think this is a better move. Genuinely, 100%. I think this is a better move. Cutting down what I was afraid I had already predicted all of Endgame would be into a 20-minute mini-movie that kicks everything off. If you kind of cobble together everything, you really can. Throw in what you need from Ant-Man. Throw in what you want from Captain Marvel. I feel like, hey, throw in a couple of scenes from Black Panther while you're at it. Why not? Get that one in there. It's like the best. So I feel like you could, hey, you know what? Add in those scenes from Homecoming with Tony and Peter. And yeah, you can turn this into three movies, and it's not even much of a stretch, it's not even weird, but the fact that they took what would have been the most eye-rollingly predictable one and cut it down to 20 minutes blew my fucking mind.
1: Yeah, the whole opening sequence of Endgame is about 20 minutes long, almost exactly if you include all that Hawkeye stuff, which is only about like two minutes, I think. If you factor in everything from the snap at the end of Infinity War to credits, it's about like 15. So it's really like half an hour that we see the consequences of the Avengers loss before we cut to five years later, which was such a shocking moment. I really hadn't anticipated that especially once we eventually got to the revelation of morgan stark i had just assumed that this whole thing was going to be erased in a very doctor who Last of the time lord's way where the five years didn't happen but once there was a kid involved i was like oh i this is going to get confusing isn't it and it certainly took us for a ride but even before the time jump there was
0: still so much to unpack I think one of the most interesting things about this first 20 minutes being a mini-movie unto itself is they tried to give, like, everybody a line of dialogue. Although I guess, you know what, I'm skipping ahead even, because there's all that Hawkeye stuff that I hated at the very beginning. Oh, Hawkeye and his man pain. I actually just don't understand why they kept running with Hawkeye. It's nothing against Jeremy Renner, but the character feels tonally unrelated to the rest of the Marvel Universe.
1: He calls her Hawkeye, which is the first time anybody actually uses the name Hawkeye in the entire MCU, apparently, which is wild to think about. And there's that joke about mayonnaise on hot dogs. The writers don't know where that came from, which is weird. I... I'm going to blame Linda Carlini because I can. It was just pretty much exactly what I knew it was going to be. Everything about Hawkeye's story in this film is so predictable and normal and hetero and boring and really just the fulfillment of the prophecy that was written when he was given a family in Avengers Age of Ultron. There was literally no reason to give Hawkeye a family at all whatsoever except to have them have been snapped and have that be his motivation for undoing the snap in endgame it's not a good story so the payoff of that four-year arc for a character that we barely know doesn't really mean a ton to me at least
0: i think they serve more than the purpose of just snappening i think they also give us a perspective into the superhero life that until then we didn't have otherwise And at the point at which they understood how Scott Lang was going to play into the Marvel Cinematic Universe better, they had already tried to make that happen with Hawkeye. And, unsuccessful though it were, they were then stuck with those characters. I think Hawkeye was an attempt to keep true to... The classic Avengers as much as they could and maybe they even had Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr.'s end date and a lower price point could move Jeremy Renner to stay but it wouldn't move Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans I don't know but Whedon was responsible for giving Hawkeye his more Ultimate Universe-esque family and the Russo sort of inherited it, I think the mistake was not just dropping Hawkeye and utilizing him in some, oh, look, no, Hawkeye died way.
1: As much as I openly am admitting that I'm not the hugest fan of this whole story, it's executed about as well as it could be. You know, you really feel for him when his family is just gone. He gave up everything that was his life to stay with them instead, and that's why he wasn't in Infinity War in the first place, and then he lost them anyway. It's Roof Stoof. I actually really love the Tony and Nebula stuff as well,
0: in terms of the first 20-minute mini-movie. That really created this, for me, parallel to Tony and Yinsen, and I thought that was a really interesting thing. The two of them waiting it out, although instead of a captor, it's the impending notion of death. I feel like there was something interesting about the parallel of him trapped in this giant shell that represented advancement and protection or
1: war and it all ultimately ended in the same place
0: for him there's something really powerful about that
1: yeah you'd said something to me at some point comparing the Benatar to like an Iron Man suit and Nebula to almost like AI herself especially with how Jarvis was really an almost human character to the point that he evolved into a human character. Yeah, it, you know, translates pretty well. I loved all the chemistry between these two characters. This is in so many ways Nebula's movie for me. Karen Gillan gave such an amazing, amazing performance. I can't wait to see more from her character after this arc and getting to see her play off of Robert Downey Jr. It's such a random pairing. We'd speculated... Where they were going to go, being the only two people left on Titan, you had made jokes about perhaps Tony will build a spaceship out of Nebula, which frankly wouldn't have been the weirdest thing.
0: I believe I predicted he would make himself an armor out of her, and she would choose to sacrifice herself and
1: become his bitchy new AI. Which isn't quite what happened, but what happened is just as marvelous. Unfortunately, he's a little bit more human than she is, and after a longer sequence than Hawkeye got with his family, uh, Tony lies down to die. I don't know how i feel about that whole him recording the thing on the spaceship being used in so many trailers and then opening the film
0: it ties right back into the thing that i opened this episode with the movie we thought we were getting on every level is not the movie we were given
1: yeah we really only saw trailers for the 20 minute movie at the start of this movie which then has tony ushered back in and getting an update on everything that's been going down we find out just how many people were snapped, and he has his little freak out where he throws the arc reactor, which was really uncomfortable to watch. And I don't mean to shit on Tony in the beginning of this film, but
0: I need to shit on Tony in the beginning of this film for a moment, because don't get me wrong, Tony, you were trapped on a foreign planet, and you watched almost everyone you were surrounded by die. Yet, yeah, no, the same thing happened to Cap in his home, in the one place in the entire universe that was supposed to be safe on Earth, Wakanda. So... I don't really accept Tony being like, I lost Spider-Man, so I'm never gonna recover. I don't I don't sympathize with that. I feel Tony is being short-sighted. I don't think it's out of character, but it's not a character trait of his I'm supportive of at this time. He really does fall down on the job.
1: And it's one of the reasons that when he does ultimately decide to help later on in the film even though it is a huge personal risk to him good you should it was a really dark really ugly really unhelpful side of the character and i'm really glad that war machine got to step up in his place and take up that mantle the way that cap passes it on to sam at the end of the film no one asked Rody to step up and be there while Tony was out of commission, but he did it anyway. And I think that that's just as awesome and deserves just as much attention. Which, you know what? Like,
0: it's so baffling to me when the Quinjet flies off into space and you've got Cap and Natasha and Rody there. And I'm just like, You guys are in space! Like, I can't even imagine some of these characters being in space from their first movie, even though I know they spend time in other galaxies in the medium they're from.
1: And Rocket even has that line, who here hasn't been to space? And those three all raise their hand. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty exciting 20-minute movie, even, for what it is. Like, there's so much excitement packed into just the opening half hour of this film. I am baffled by the fact that... 30 seconds of it is devoted to karen gillen's little thanos's garden speech when i was disassembled i would ask him where are we going father and he would say the garden and i actually wish we hadn't gotten anything because then we
0: immediately see them go there all i needed her to say was i know where he'd be it's a long shot but if you've checked these other places and then cut to it like, there's no reason to give us this big flowery description of what you're about to flower lurlingly show us, Lurling.
1: Lurling, indeed. The only other point that I would want to make before we fly off to face Thanos at his little garden is I really don't feel still that Carol is held accountable enough for her lack of presence anywhere before now and before her own film and i understand they didn't want to put that card before the horse but it really is questionable why wasn't carol doing anything to protect xandar when thanos attacked why didn't she do anything about him before now why wasn't she mentioned in any of the guardians films even if they could just like we're like oh the captain's causing trouble for us in this sector but like there's nothing and there isn't really a good answer for that one for me which is unfortunate there really
0: isn't an answer, period, other than she wasn't finished being in development yet. So by the time the second Guardians movie rolled around, there was no way to make a reference to a character they still didn't know when was going to appear. As late as a year before the film, I believe, the film got a new release date and adjusted around Black Panther, they didn't know what they were doing with Captain Marvel until the very last moment, it would seem, in a lot of ways. But what we got was still tremendous, and she's still an excellent character. I imagine that Some part of that is to leave room to talk about other villains that perhaps, oh no, Carol faced them and now they're coming for the Guardians and only Carol could handle it. Something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. It's one of the unfortunate side effects of, you know, making these sort of projects as you go. Cab gets in a swear and says, let's go get this son of a bitch and then we're off to Thanos' garden and we get a minute long sequence of him making soup before he's ambushed. That's just, that was way too long. Again, you know, you could have probably cut that down a little bit. And I'm not trying to be dickish. It's just that this was a three hour movie
0: and it kind of feels like they swore that every single minute of it was necessary to the narrative. And I'm not sure that I got the soup narrative. Mm -hmm.
1: Which is a weird thing to even have to say, but there it is. And then this whole scene is only like a little over three minutes long before the beheading and that includes the whole soup thing it it's very quick that it's all over even as soon as it starts and there's just this moment where rocket goes oh no what did you do
0: where i'm like that the only other time bradley cooper has ever made that noise is when he found out he wasn't nominated for best director for a star is born
1: they could have at least called him i
0: think I am inevitable and getting beheaded doesn't work for me for only one reason. Tony isn't there. So then Tony's, and I am Iron Man, is almost somehow unfulfilling, even though I love every second of it
1: because it parallels the end of Iron Man and like theoretically they could have played him the footage if thanos is able to watch gamora's footage later a little bit like that episode of archer where he keeps making them watch his kill video over and over again but i doubt that they played it for him i doubt he heard any of this before i doubt that it has any meaning to him but it's kind of funny it the point you make To me, reminds me of later when Wanda says to 2014 Thanos, You took everything from me. And he's like, I don't even know who you are. And she says, You will. She knows that that's not exactly the Thanos that took vision from her, but she's still getting her revenge. Whereas Thanos is saying this thing that he thinks is a prophecy and I'm inevitable. And Tony doesn't even care. He doesn't even know what that means. Hi, Inevitable. I'm Iron Man.
0: Hey, Kevo. In France, why do they only have one egg for breakfast? Pourquoi? Because one egg is enough. Itable. From the moment the world gets blurry around Thor, it's kind of like the universe gets blurry. Once Thanos is beheaded, it's not the just death that the world needs because they couldn't undo the snap in whatever capacity they were going to try to in this timeline because of what Thanos has done. So the universe becomes out of focus, as it does around Thor. Then we get that card of five years later. When I saw the five, my head literally went, going to be like five months later. And then I saw years, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be five years earlier, and we're going to find out something in the past, and Carol's going to show up. And then it was five years later, and I was like, oh, well, now I know what the end of this movie is, they're going to undo this, and the best promise of endgame is that they didn't and there are some reasonable consequences opening up with steve in the gay support group meeting with uh gay russo and gay 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 look at how gay it is everyone gay i'll get to that in a minute uh so once the movie starts at the turkish bathhouse i think it's really an interesting way to humanize it again because so much of this movie is from the perspective of ant-man who's so human that it's interesting that they started on a bunch of humans
1: And, you know, I have shared a lot of opinions on our Facebook page, all over the internet, and, you know, the support group dude doesn't even have a name. His name is Grieving Man. That's not dazzling. However, we are given literally one scene before ant-man returns from the quantum realm to establish the world of five years later and show us what it's like we have all of those slow pans of new york city with all the barges and everything is gray and everything looks abandoned and even though we later get stuff of steve saying things like the water is so much clean now everyone's just so somber still and sad and it's clear that they still want all of their loved ones to return and we are given literally one human being's perspective to show what this world is like and it is this stranger who is gay and that was such a important choice on the parts of the filmmakers i also do think that in some ways it is more important to make it joe russo's own cameo daring anyone to try and cut this gay character who's, as I said, his role is so pivotal to establishing what five years later is like for everyone still.
0: Okay, but they create a gay character and an implicit gay character and both of them cry. Come on, guys, way to fem it up. Little bit, little bit. No, I mean, really, it's it's so important because it made the human experience after the snap a gay experience. That's incredible. It's such a minor detail. It's such a little way to say gay people will continue to live after this. And it it says to us that the Avengers aren't erasing the legacy of gay rights, even though half of us just disappeared.
1: And of course, they have to balance those scales and extra heteroate it up by having Steve mention the love of his life, which I really thought that was an arc that you were done with, Steve. You haven't talked about Peggy like that in so fucking long. You mean Sharon? You know I don't, which is just so much more extra. Do you mean James Buchanan Hamilton Barnes? Well, I do. Is it really Hamilton? No, but I'm just surprised they didn't try and get a Hamilton reference in there somehow. Yeah, I don't think that there is a single Hamilton reference in the entire MCU. I could be wrong, but that's just so topical. They even made one in season six of Once Upon a Time. Like, it's the one thing that didn't make a Hamilton reference. Oh, man, and I can't believe nobody from the cast of Hamilton got snapped.
0: Like, they didn't even-
1: Brooklyn Nine-Nine has a subplot for an episode about someone thinking they discovered Hamilton. Uh, Difficult People had a whole episode about it. Like, it's- yeah, I, I get what you're saying.
0: In the Gives Birth episode of Mad About You, there was a- subplot about getting tickets to rent which only cost four thousand dollars at the time oh my god really it there's a long tradition of making a reference to the big show on broadway i guess i guess the year
1: was just off and nobody made a dear captain america reference or something i don't know we can talk about this more once we get to far from home but i want to see a bunch of like engineered blip videos of stuff like hamilton in the middle of of a performance and half the cast being blipped away like What would that look like? I'm a horrible human being.
0: ELIZA! Where'd she go? It's and Peggy. You're supposed to say and Peggy.
1: Oh my god, she's a pile of dust! (laughs) It's just Peggy. Everyone else from the cast is fine. Tonight's performance, the role of Peggy will be played by
0: this sandbag. (laughs) Which spilled. So then there's the really depressing scene in natasha's office which i guess was nick fury's off oh did i skip ant-man
1: oh there's ant-man getting his little red wagon all sad the sequence from scott returning from the quantum realm all the way to being reunited with cassie is a little bit like long it's just because he doesn't really have a lot of characters to interact with also there's the sequence where paul red is looking at the memoriam with like the names of the dead and he keeps running from one side to the other and only one side is alphabetically where the name lang would be the other side is like b's and c's and i'm like why do you keep going back to that side it's just really frustrating that scott lang for someone who is supposed to be such a genius in some ways is such a dummy in other ways
0: maybe he was checking in case she was listed under cassie
1: still dummy anyway he finds his own name and realizes that he was assumed among the dead and goes and finds Stature. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call it now. I'm gonna say it.
0: i'm um, Yes, but if I can just, if I can just pour out an oil canister for dummy who didn't make an appearance in the final phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, pour this one out for your homie dummy. And yeah, no, for real. I am famously not a huge Cassie fan from the comics, but I love every single thing about this performance, this iteration of this family. And we're going to get to Kevin and I losing our shit about the Wasp getting her due, which was like, if you've been paying attention, this is all Kevin and I have ever wanted, pretty much, is Wasp getting to impress Cap. But I love Cassie being like, Dad! And Scott being like, you're an
1: adult now, let's hug anyway. And it's cool. He says you're so big, and I feel like if that's not a lead into stature, then I don't know what is. And I really like this kid who plays Cassie now. She says, I just read today, she binged the entire MCU to prepare for this role, and I'm pretty sure she speaks like three times. So I really respect someone putting in that much effort for such little work i want more of this character and that was another thing i guess as soon as i saw i think it was really as soon as we saw teenage cassie i was like no we're not gonna undo it they wouldn't have cast a new actor and gone through all of this you know
0: and you know that's so reinforced with morgan and
1: so many other things but now we get natasha's really depressing job Yes, now we get the hologram summit and Natasha being a shut-in, which I hadn't really gotten. I get now after having seen it a few times and other people pointing it out that she was taking on the comic fury role of being more of a behind-the-scenes, staying-behind-a-computer-screen figure. But I guess because they had to condense so much in, this was the only scene that we saw of her, so it didn't track for me at first.
0: I loved getting a moment with a a moment with Rocket and Cap, Marvel and War Machine, and man, they tried so hard. War Machine's like, I don't want to look for Barton, and Natasha's like, but you have to, and War Machine's like, for you, Nat, and she's like, thanks, Rhodey, pop 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 peanut
1: butter sandwich. I actually liked that performance from her the more I watched it. The way that she's in tears, it really does help sell the sacrifice that she's going to make for his family later. I still don't like it, I still would have made a completely different storytelling choice, but I feel they at least laid some amount of proper groundwork to establish why she would want to make that sort of sacrifice for him.
0: I did enjoy the fact that we got a scene between Steve and Natasha, who had been established as close friends repeatedly throughout the series, so it made sense to me that these two people would share this sort of compassionate moment together in this private honesty.
1: Yeah, I really liked a lot too. I am glad that it doesn't seem like this is the first time they're seeing each other in five years or even a very long time, but it does seem like Steve is probably retired from active duty. I imagine if he's needed, he's probably come in, but he seems to be living mostly a civilian life and looking for Nat to do the same when Scott shows up in Luis's van in the clip that was used once again in a lot of the trailers. And then the scene that follows is actually pretty quick before we go right off to meeting up with Tony. He, you know, gets an update on everything that happened with Thanos and talks a little bit about the quantum realm. He is a little bit rambly in true Scott Lang fashion.
0: And this is the first time I think I genuinely loved Scott Lang. He's not just likable, he's lovable here. He provides a voice for the audience. It's not that he understands time travel enough to suggest it. It's that he needs to
1: believe. And you know, there are some ways in which he does sound a lot more intelligent than others. I really enjoy when he's describing being miniaturized in the quantum realm, he refers to it as being down there and being outside of the quantum realm as up here, having to do with the size discrepancy. He, like I said, is a dummy about a lot of things, but not the things that he's not And it takes somebody
0: as ridiculous as Scott Lang to suggest something as off the wall as time travel. It takes that level of, wait, no, for real, did you really just suggest that? To even get to Tony. Like, you need someone smart enough to be crazy enough to be smart enough to be crazy enough to come up with this
1: idea. And somehow the two sides of that are Ant-Man and Iron Man. And, you know, I, I really love the juxtaposition of those two characters in terms of... Being different types of geniuses, being different types of funny men, being different types of I don't really plan, I just sort of go by the seat of my pants. And yet they both do plan and are able to come up with these amazing concepts. Look at all the things that Scott has done in his own movies. That little playset that he makes for Cassie to basically recap Ant-Man for the audience. He had to build that whole thing. He's a very clever man, much like Tony. And yet Tony can't pull off a heist the first time he has to do a heist. He has to get inventive and it requires
0: more technology and bringing in something new and bringing in a variable. Because Tony Stark can only function in situations where it's too big to be believed. Tony Stark can't operate on the scale that Scott Lang thrives on.
1: But before Tony Stark can be brought in, and before Tony Stark can even turn down being brought in to inevitably be brought in after that, we have to find out why Tony Stark would reject being brought in in the first place, which is the surprise character of Morgan Stark. When Tony has his scene with, I almost called her Gwyneth, Pepper, at the beginning of Infinity War, he talks about a prophetic dream of having a child with Pepper named Morgan, and I did not see that actually happening. When that kid popped up, I was pretty, pretty, pretty surprised. I love that she was playing with the rescue helmet, though. It was a good way to introduce that there
0: was going to be another suit of armor later on. It was a really smart way to set up that this is still something Tony is thinking about, even if he's pretending he's not. I did think that the Avengers showing up so quickly, like, I mean, the 20 minute mini movie, and then there's barely 20 minutes between the falling out of Cap and Tony, which is the second falling out. In three movies they've been together, they... Actually, do they have any time together in Infinity War? No, right? So, this is their second falling out in their second movie-sharing scenes in a row, and that's kind of ridiculous, but this one only lasts 20 minutes, and that's more of my theory that this is a mini-movie, because even though he does reject them, he rejects them rather pleasantly. He says that he still loves them and that they're still family, but he has other things to worry about, like Gwyneth, who couldn't appear in this scene due to scheduling conflicts, Or whatever. It's not like she knows what she's filming anyway. She actually thought she had just shown up to Hot Dog Man. I thought this was a sequel to Shakespeare in Love. Salieri's Revenge. Yeah, Shakespeare in Love 2, Salieri's Revenge. That's it. I like it. I'm in. Million dollar backing. Yet Tony was not
1: in, not for a million dollars and not for a single dollar. But he has so many, he bought that beautiful cabin that's now an Airbnb. Iron Man retired
0: from being Iron Man by living in a world made completely of wood. So they need a quick fix for another super genius scientist, and uh, that's when we get the guy that looks like the trainer at our gym. Professor Hulk is so enormous, it's hard to believe he's real, and it's this Fun balance of Hulk and Banner, and mostly it kind of sounds like Ruffalo on talk shows, but somehow that really works for me. Hulk is this fictional character who has never really had an idealized character. The Ed Norton version is fine. Doesn't everything aspire to be fine? The Eric Banner version is less than fine. The cartoons over the years have been very, Who am I, the Incredible Hulk? So it was really nice to get a film where Hulk was treated as this character with nuance, with ideas. I think one of the funniest parts in the movie is when Mark Ruffalo is going, smash! Uh, Ah, so embarrassing. The whole thing really works for me. And this diner sequence with,
1: listen to your mom, and he flexes in the photo. She knows better. He dabs. It's cute, it's fun, it's nice to see Bruce at peace, enjoying himself. I, we did not go back to see it, but I believe the footage at the end of the re-release of Endgame is a deleted scene of Bruce Saving some kids in this Professor Hulk form and would have been the actual reveal of the character before the diner scene. And they ultimately decided they didn't really need that. You're going to see him in action later. You get everything from that scene that you need from the diner scene. So we're just going to cut straight to the point. It's cute and fun. I appreciate that this is the only hint that we had of any of the lingering attraction between Nat and Bruce. Is that they're a little bit like flirty. But that's fine. They have that history. So it makes sense. And I really was made deeply uncomfortable though by Ant-Man asking if the kids want a picture with him. Buddy, you weren't famous five years ago. You just came back from the quantum realm. Why do you think they know who you are? It's so awkward and embarrassing
0: at comic cons when somebody goes up to a minor celebrity and goes, I'm sorry- Is this the line for the bigger celebrity next to you? And they have to be like, no, but I'll sign your book. And they have to be like, what did you make? Oh, no thanks. It's kind of like that, but at a diner. Oh, and that reminds me. Evidently, according to the Russo brothers, the thing that sets this universe apart from all the other universes is the rat. I'm just leaving that out there. It should have been played by Pizza
1: Rat. Oh. Missed opportunity. And to think... Marvel actually let a marketing opportunity slip by, which transitions us into a marketing ploy that they absolutely did not let pass them by for even one weekend. The I love you 3000 scene, which so, so, so many people have insisted is because that's the full runtime of the Marvel cinematic universe. I'm not sure that mathematically holds, but either way, the Russo brothers are like, no, none of us are that smart.
0: I think the scene stands on its own. We as a people have a habit of creating context for something to make it more magical. It's not enough that it's a great scene with a cute kid and it's the realization of the softening of Tony Stark who came to realize in Iron Man 3 that his weapons led to the death of a woman's child as he was moving into his further steps of his relationships with Pepper and he then got a child in the form of Spider-Man who had recently lost a father, Tony, who's always had father issues, him being a good dad to someone, and it being him being able to have a stable, normal relationship with a woman in a non-sexual way with his daughter. He's not cold to her because he can't sexualize her. He's able to have a reasonable paternal relationship with her that has no weird undercurrent of coldness like his father had with him, and we get all of that, We get all of that from this, from these two short scenes that they share together. And, you know, we just have this predilection to try and make things more magical every chance we get. So people love to create these ideas and stories. If you find a connection, there is both no such thing and always such a thing as coincidence.
1: True, so true. You know, my dummy brain, I had just assumed at first that that was how many pounds was in a ton. Apparently that would be a ton and a half. And it could even just as easily that whatever it is it's a cute line i really enjoy the character of morgan stark i know that there is a deleted scene of the girl from 13 reasons why as a teenage morgan in a station type scene that we would have gotten between tony and her at the end of the film i think that would have been really interesting if they'd included it if they'd kept it in i think that would have dovetailed the film a lot more nicely but i can see where it also might have just confused things we'll get
0: into where i would have found that the uglier mirror of child gamora later on
1: (laughs) but in here and now tony cracks time travel in about five seconds which is almost too much to believe but it's fine it's just a room full of geniuses here and so he goes and tells Pepper in her first appearance of the film, where she's reading a book about composting? No, it's actually her second appearance of the film. It's her first appearance of the not-20-minute mini-movie. No, you're right, you're right. It is her first indoor appearance of the film, because I don't think we see her except for bringing Tony in from the Benatar. I'm more focusing on the fact that she's reading a book about composting. Who chose that? I want to say it was probably Gwyneth. Goopy Potts, as she has given us so many years, deserved
0: this romantic little send-off because... This is one of the most human moments of the movie and giving Gwyneth Paltrow what ultimately is one of the most important lines of the franchise is risky business when she's not one of the big heroes, but Gwyneth Paltrow really did give her all for her swan song to the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: And she's not one of the big heroes, but she's been one of the big faces and she's been one of the faces from the beginning. I remember she posted some picture of her and... John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. from when they filmed Spider-Man Homecoming, even though apparently she didn't know that was what she was filming at the time. And she made the comment of how it had been them from the beginning and it really had. And I'm really glad that Pepper did get so much attention and screen time. There were so many characters to give screen time to. Only so many people were going to get 20 minutes or more. She really did get a lot in proportion to her lasting effect on the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: And now she can rest. A movie this long is going to take a lot of episodes to talk all the way through. And until we come back to talk more about the final installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe until they came up with another final installment, which turned
1: out to just be the final installment of the first story.
0: Where can everybody find you, Kevo?
1: you can find me kicking around instagrams at kevo really k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y and you can find me on the facebook page for this lovely show husbands talking more or less at official html you can also find all of the really cool super inclusive and diverse superhero stories that you and i have been producing for nearly five years now over at kidridecomics.com and Kid Ride Comics on facebook nico where can the lovely folks find you sir
0: well you can find me here all over this fantastic network. Network on shows like X's for Podcast, where we talk about the X-Men comic book franchise now expanding to other titles, as well as now and again where we talk about pop music, whether it's now that's what I call music or the Carly Ray Jepson discography. You can also check out my musical projects at facebook.com slash action duo. Pretty big musical announcement coming up later this year as well. Don't forget to check out those comics like Kevo said KidRiotComics.com, as well as my Instagram, Nico Action on Instagram. That's N-I-C-O-A-C T-I-O-N. all right guys, until we come back to keep ending this game, we'll see ya. Bye.